So I want to ask us all on the front end to prepare our hearts to receive God's word. Can you do that for me? All of us together, lean into God's word and let God do his work in your life today, in my life today, through his word. Matthew chapter five, I invite you to turn there with me if you have your copy of God's word. Studying the Beatitudes has created significant discomfort in my life, causing me to question the authenticity and the depth of my own personal faith. I have been under heavy conviction from the Holy Spirit. I am receiving the diagnosis of worldliness with the prescription of holiness. Worldliness is adapting our faith in order to accommodate our culture with the goal of minimizing animosity and maximizing comfort. Holiness is being set apart by the presence of Jesus and living our lives by the word of God. And in doing so, we don't avoid animosity. We invite it, even celebrate it. Christians, should joyfully surrender comfort and gladly embrace opposition. Christians are part of an entirely different kingdom, one that Jesus has been unpacking and revealing in the gospel of Matthew. This is the kingdom of heaven, a kingdom value system. A Christian ethic is not an upgraded version of worldly values. It is entirely different. Kingdom people are called to have an alien ethic, which brings with it a foreign presence within our host culture. We are called to be in the world, but not of the world. Kingdom people are otherworldly with an unearthly lifestyle. This is strong language. kingdom lifestyle is not just a different font. It's an entirely different language. The Christian isn't called to be superficially different. They are fundamentally, we are fundamentally different. It's a qualitative difference that inevitably makes non-Christians uncomfortable. Let's look at this final beatitude. Perhaps the most countercultural one yet. Would you please stand as we read God's word together? Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 10, going through verse 12. You are about to hear the best part of my sermon. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Heavenly Father, I pray that your spirit would empower your word to challenge and shape your people. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I like how the message paraphrase brings out this passage You are blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. 
The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even for though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds and know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. This is a shocking statement from Jesus. That's maybe why he repeated himself, because the original audience and maybe even some of us here today, wait, did he really just say, surely I must have misunderstood. And because of that, Jesus intentionally repeats himself. Now, in many places around the world today, this message, this message would be incredibly relevant because the Christians, the kingdom people that are receiving it have either been persecuted or know someone that's been persecuted. There's more persecution of Christians currently than at any other time in history, even the time in which the Bible is written. Intense persecution of the early church. They didn't stop there. It's especially challenging for me to bring application to this particular truth to our church because of who we are, because of where we live. We are an affluent church that lives in a free society. However, Jesus is presenting a universal truth that transcends time and culture. He really wants us to get this. This is the only beatitude with an encore. This is the crescendo in the kingdom code of conduct. Jesus doubles down with the last one. He concludes the beatitude with an exclamation point. This is something important to Jesus. There's something special about this last one. Notice he didn't repeat any of the previous seven. Jesus intentionally repeats himself, which means we should lean into God's word today, lean into the words of Jesus today and pay special attention and give extra thought. Now, let me say on the front end that the carnal mind rejects this truth. Sinful nature recoils at this truth. So we must let the spirit of God illuminate and unlock the word of God. The things of God are foolishness to the world, to the darkness. These things are spiritually discerned. Let me be clear about the reason. Jesus is very clear here about the reason for the persecution. In verse 10, he says, you're persecuted because of righteousness. In verse 11, he makes it even more personal and says, because of me. So the catalyst for persecution within the kingdom is the presence of Christ. The presence of Christ is what triggers the forces of darkness. Listen to one commentator. Sadly, Christians are very often persecuted, not for their Christianity, but for lack of it. Sometimes they are rejected simply because they have unpleasant personalities. They are rude, insensitive, thoughtless, or piously obnoxious. Some are rejected because they are discerned as proud and judgmental. Others are disliked because they are lazy and irresponsible. Incompetence mixed with piety is sure to bring rejection. That's not the kind of persecution that Jesus is talking about, that the Bible describes. Kingdom people make non-Christians uncomfortable because of the presence of Jesus, not because we are jerks. 
Come on, I've been one. In the name of Christ, we offend people. And it's really my political position. We use our personalities and excuse to be unnecessarily offensive to the people around us. Obnoxious religious people are counterproductive to the kingdom cause. And these people, unfortunately, are rarely self-aware. And so letting the Spirit of God illuminate your true condition today. Because some here are experiencing animosity because you are mean. Not because of the righteousness of Christ. Because you're an unpleasant person. And we need to repent and start receiving the right kind of resistance because of the presence of Christ, not because of my offensive personality or because of my public political positions. A key word here is falsely. The accusations have to be false. If you get called, if we get called because we did something shady or something wrong or something unethical or something illegal, that means we are victims of our own stupidity. That is not what Jesus is talking about here. That's not biblical persecution. So if you get a speeding ticket and you walk away, ah, persecuted for Christ. No. (laughs) If you cheat and get caught, That's a victim of of your own foolishness. The Bible is very clear about the source of the resistance of the opposition. It is the presence of Jesus that triggers the world around us to resist our Christianity, not our personality. The deeper we are driven by the persecution into the kingdom of heaven, the more we will receive it. That's the kingdom cycle. Next, I want us to see that the per- that persecution is not a possible outcome of authentic faith. It is a biblically guaranteed outcome of real Christianity. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, we are not to be offensive. We are not to be foolish. We are not to be unwise. We are not to even to parade the Christian faith. We are not to do anything that calls for persecution, but by just being like Christ persecution becomes inevitable. Inevitable. How much persecution have I received as a direct result of my commitment and devotion to Jesus? Opposition from the world is biblically inevitable. Listen to Jesus in John chapter 15. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted you, they will, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Another translator brings out verse 19 in this way. If you were to give your allegiance to the world, they would love and welcome you as one of their own. But because you won't align yourself with the values of this world, they will hate you. These are incredibly strong words from Jesus to his followers. As they treated me, they will treat you. He's preparing his followers for the inevitable. 
Taken another way, this could mean that a lack of persecution and absence of opposition might be evidence of superficial faith. A lack of persecution could mean that we had conformed to the patterns of this world rather than to the word of God. If Jesus is tucked away in the corner of our hearts and only makes an appearance on the occasional Sunday, then I will not be persecuted because it is his presence that triggers the forces of darkness around me. A lack of resistance is a diagnosis of worldliness, an indictment of superficial faith. Listen, there is an unavoidable hostility that comes with biblical Christianity. 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. In fact, the apostle Paul tells Timothy, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Another translator brings it out like this. For all who choose to live passionately and faithfully as worshipers of Jesus will be persecuted. Listen, if our presence doesn't bring some level of discomfort into the lives of non-Christians, then we need to do some serious soul searching. The darkness always hates the light. Regardless of the culture in which you were born and raised, regardless of the time in which we live. The darkness always hates the light. The Beatitudes build on each other and they are connected as one cascades into the next. If we truly live out the first seven, then we will be persecuted. The eighth Beatitude is an automatic outcome of the first seven. Now it gets personal. The truth is, the truth is, many Christians long for the world to love us. We long for the world to celebrate our faith, to acknowledge our devotion to Christ. But Jesus clearly teaches the opposite. Christians crave the embrace of the world, but the Bible says this is impossible. And this desire for the world's approval, it shapes church's ecclesiology. We shape our convictions around this desire to be celebrated by people who don't know Jesus, by people who are spiritually dead. We shape our ministry programs, our convictions, our sermons around the desires of someone outside of the kingdom of heaven. We long for the world to love us. When the Bible says we should expect the world to oppose us. Why are you surprised? Peter tells the early church, why are you surprised at the painful struggle you are enduring as though something strange were happening to you? The the, the apostles, there was no fine print with the message of the apostles. They were so clear with the early church. As As a drill sergeant prepares soldiers to be deployed behind enemy lines, ministry leaders need to prepare Christians to face opposition. Why are you surprised at the persecution, at the resistance, at the opposition? 1 John chapter 2. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And this world is fading. 
It's fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. If we were honest, we would have to say that over time, we have fallen in love with the world and the things of the world. The apostle Paul was so clear. He said, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. People that persecuted him, the spiritual forces that surrounded him and resisted him. He was glad. He boasted not in prosperity. He boasted in the struggles And he pointed to churches and said, look at them. He bragged on churches because of their tenacity, not because of their prosperity. Do we have that same mindset? Listen, church, this is all temporary. This body, my bank account, my career, my relationships, it's all temporary. We are exiles here. We are aliens and foreigners and strangers and temporary residents. My citizenship as a kingdom person is in heaven. And yet, we invest so much in things that are so temporary. Do not love the world or anything in the world. But if you look at what the church is actually doing, it's the opposite of what the Bible teaches. This alien ethic that creates a foreign presence in the host culture. We enjoy the same things the world enjoys. We treat our spouses in the same way the world treats their spouses. We treat our kids in the same way the world treats their kids. We go to the same movies. We watch the same shows on television. We look at the same websites on the internet. Holiness is being set apart by the presence of Jesus through a commitment to the word of God. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor that was murdered for resisting the Nazis, he said this, not recognition, but rejection will be the reward from the world. This world system that I'm describing is not neutral. The system in which we took our first breath, in which we live our lives, this system is fundamentally secular. Listen, this world system, the backdrop for our lives is controlled by Satan and designed to deconstruct Christian faith. There is a war happening. It is a clash of kingdoms, and we're all a part of it, whether we realize it or not. There is so much more going on than meets the eye, and the forces of darkness are manipulating the world system to erode and destroy the kingdom of heaven. The physical persecution is an expression of a deeper spiritual truth, an ultimate reality. Tolerance is a primary value of Canadian culture. To be tolerant, to be inclusive, to be open-minded, to the point that one of the most significant insults is to be called intolerant. However, the world will always have very little tolerance for the kind of righteousness that Jesus describes and models. 
Now listen closely. In our culture, this is especially apparent in the area of sexuality. If we as kingdom people unapologetically hold to a biblical view of sexuality, we will be mocked and we will be ridiculed and we will be marginalized. Are you willing to count the cost to be in the kingdom? The LGBTQ agenda has no room for a biblical ethic of sexuality. How do we respond? Does our longing for lostness to accept us overrule our devotion to God's word? Listen closely to what I'm about to say. There are no exceptions. There are no exceptions. The church in North America in the 21st century likes to think of itself as exceptional. There's an underlying arrogance where we're going to show the rest of the world how to do church. Somehow this 21st century North American expression of church, we have excused ourselves from the requirements and the ramifications of biblical faith. Listen, we think of persecution as barbaric, something that happens in less evolved places among less civilized people. We may not come out and say that bluntly, but let's be honest. Many of us actually believe that. Well, of course, persecution is happening in the Middle East. Those people barely have electricity. Well, of course, persecution is happening in Africa. I mean, they're a third world. Look at us at the peak of civilization, the underlying arrogance to think that we have somehow evolved past the biblical requirements of discipleship. Here's the problem. The Bible offers no exceptions. There's no fine print in the message of Jesus. We like to craft our messages around someone who doesn't know Jesus, and then after the fact, we show them the price tag of faith. Jesus was always upfront about it to say, listen, I am God's son and through me you can reconnect with the creator and you can have eternal life, but it comes at a cost in this temporary culture that you're living in. The altar call of the son of God was not every head bowed, every eye closed and have somebody playing softly and tenderly on the, on the organ. The, the, the altar call of the son of God was in the middle of the day with no lighting and no music, saying, if any person would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross every day and follow after me. We have the reason for persecution, the inevitability of it, and now we look at our reaction to it. Jesus gives us one massively clear response. All caps, bold font, rejoice, (laughs) rejoice. This is supernatural response. This is a supernatural response. So when someone offends you, someone insults you, you are ridiculed and mocked. You're called a bigot. You're called a fundamentalist. How do we respond? (laughs) Jesus gives us a crazy counterintuitive kingdom commandment. Listen, 
This is so clear in the original. These are back-to-back imperatives. Jesus wanted it to be abundantly clear how kingdom people respond to inevitable opposition. This is a double exclamation point. Celebrate and rejoice. Celebrate and be exceedingly glad. If we experience persecution, how do we respond? So you're going to take this message seriously. You're going to unleash Jesus. He's been living in your heart for way too long. It's time for all of us to unleash him on the rest of our lives. And when we do that, the closer Christ comes to the surface of our lives, the more the world will treat us like they treated him. So how do we respond when you go to school and you take a stand for biblical convictions? Not being obnoxious, but in humility. It's a humble apologetic that is backed up by a devoted life. When you stand up and boom, the hatred, the vitriol comes at you, the dam breaks and everybody's looking at you like, man, what century are you living in? We've evolved past those thoughts, those archaic beliefs. How do we respond? Jesus is clear, rejoice, celebrate, be exceedingly glad. Our Tendency is to litigate rather than to celebrate. We seek revenge rather than rejoice. You look at the early church. There is more biblical support for this last beatitude than any other. Perhaps all the others combined. I could just read scripture for 20 minutes to prove over and over again that the early church took this seriously. In Acts chapter 5, the disciples get called in to court. They get arrested just for being Christians, right? They weren't breaking any laws. They weren't being piously obnoxious. They were just following Jesus. And they received persecution. So they got beat. They got whipped. And these, these, these first followers of Jesus, the ones that heard this message in Matthew chapter five, they're limping out of the courtroom and they're bruised and they're ble- bleeding and they're rejoicing. They're not going to mobilize the Christian militia. Right? They're not calling their lawyers. They're not calling their representatives in government. They are praising God for the honor of being dishonored. They are praising and rejoicing and celebrating through busted lips and bleeding mouths. Thank you, God, that you counted me worthy to suffer on your behalf. Over and over again, you see the early church being marched into the Colosseums, marched down the streets of Rome, where they would use Christians to light the streets at night as they wrapped them in tar and set them on fire. And when you listened closely, you could hear them singing praises as they died. That is our heritage. That's the DNA of the kingdom the prophets and the priests that suffered, the disciples, the apostles that suffered, the church, the early church, the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. And around the world today, millions of Christians right now are sitting in prison because they are a Christian. And for us to say that we are somehow exceptional, that there is a North American exception, that there's a Grant Memorial exception, it's an insult to those who are suffering. Like marble welcomes the chisel, like wood 
that embraces the blade. Like a sick person that welcomes surgery, the Christian anticipates and even celebrates persecution. Why rejoice? What did Jesus say? Not because we're being persecuted. No one seeks it out. You shouldn't. It's a martyr syndrome. Now, you're not rejoicing in the fact that you're being hurt, that you're being tortured, that you're being marginalized, that you're being looked over, that you're being neglected, that you don't get invited to the parties, that you get ridiculed. He says this, they will be called children of God, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, lie about you, Because of me, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. You want to go to places that really believe in heaven? You go to what we call the third world. When they sing about heaven, it comes from their heart because they have nothing here. They're literally praying for daily bread. You want to go to a place that really has a good ecclesiology, a good theology of heaven? You go to places that are, that are paying a high price to be a Christian. They're longing for heaven. The apostle Paul said, if you give me a choice right now, and he's writing this from jail, he says, I would choose to be with Jesus in a heartbeat, but I guess I'll have to say for your benefit. Come on now, how many of us would say the same thing? How many of us would say to live is Christ, to die is gain? The apostle Paul, as they, the blade was coming down to, to cut off his head, I'm sure he smiled. He welcomed the blade that ushered him into the presence. His face became sight. How many of us would say, I'd rather be with Jesus? Oh, it's an indictment against my worldliness. But John, I just want to, I've invested so much here. John, don't you see? I just want to see. I just want to experience. I just, I get it, man. I get it. But we should have a far superior love and affection that overrules everything else. All of this, y'all, is temporary. I'm telling you, we're just exiles here. And yet we invest so much of our blood, sweat, and tears building a castle in the sand. Why rejoice? Because heaven. Because heaven. We relinquish the temporary and we glory in the eternal. We let go of the material and we cling to Christ. We take our eyes off of this world and we focus our gaze on heaven. People want to say, well, John, you got to be careful, brother. People are going to be so heavenly minded that they have no earthly good. That is not our problem. We're so, we're so earthly-minded that we're of no heavenly good. The Apostle Paul says this, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, church, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. If you aren't a Christian here today, as I wrap this up, 
This is a bizarre altar call. <laughs> this is a crazy altar call. Come be persecuted. There's no fine print, but here's the reality. When you step out of the darkness and you step into the light, you will be on God's side. The reward for the kingdom people is eternal life. And there is reward for the world, but it's temporary. Moth and rust destroy. Thieves break in and steal. You work so hard and you pass it on to people that are foolish with it. Six months, it's gone. Step out of the darkness. Step into the light. Yes, it will bring persecution, but that's the price of knowing God. Be on the right side. The war is won. The battle is raging, but the war is won. It was won on Easter. You want to be on the winning side. I'm going to invite the praise team to come up, and we're going to respond. Kingdom people, listen up. Kingdom people rejoice no matter what. No matter what. No matter what people say around you. No matter what your physical diagnosis is. No matter what your financial struggles are. No matter what relational drama is swirling around your life. Kingdom people rejoice. Because our worship is not rooted in anything the world has. It's rooted in the only thing that will never change. In something that no doctor's diagnosis, in something that no bank account, something that no relationship could ever touch. The source of my joy is my salvation. Kingdom people rejoice. We rejoice in the midst of the resistance we sing in the midst of the struggle. We celebrate in the midst of the suffering. We dance in the midst of the difficulties. And we praise in the middle of the persecution. Heavenly Father, may your Holy Spirit drive your word into every life, every circumstance. And as best as we can right now, from whatever pain, from whatever resistance, from whatever persecution, we offer you our praise. Following in the footsteps of the prophets and the priests and the servants and the Christians, we limp into your presence, bleeding and bruised, but rejoicing. Rejoicing in the truth of heaven. We take our eyes off of this world and we focus on you, Jesus. Amen. 
If you're looking for ways to connect, find us on Facebook or YouTube. Just check out the show notes for details. Thank you for tuning in. I hope and pray that this has been a blessing in your life. And I hope that you'll continue the conversation with God by opening his word for yourself. Love y'all.